Thank you for joining. I am Colin Better, the Principal Emerging Technology Professional Practices Lead here at ISACA. And joining me today is a very special returning guest, the Chief Security Evangelist for ESET, Cody Anscombe. He's here to discuss ESET's recently released report, breaking down the ESET T2 2022 threat report. Tony, it's wonderful to have you join me today. Well, and it's great to be back, Colin. So thank you for having me on as a guest. No problem. I'm really excited to take a look at this and deep dive into this article. There was quite a bit of information in here and quite a bit of threat. So I'm I'm super interested in to deep dive and, and understand your point of view and what's going on. Sure. Well, well, let's start off by actually answering the first question. What does T2 mean, actually? Um, yeah. Just to explain to everybody, we produce three threat reports each year and they go in four month cycles. So T1 is January to April. And then T2, which is what we're talking about today, is from May until the end of August. Can you just give us our listeners uh, who are not aware of what you said and your research just a little bit more information about who you are and, and what you do? Well, so ESET is a cybersecurity company. We've actually been producing cybersecurity products for over 30 years now. We're uh, headquartered in Europe, in Slovakia. And we have our North American headquarters in San Diego. Go back 30 years, we were one of the first companies to produce a, a piece of antivirus software for, against some of those early viruses through to today where we have cybersecurity products all the way from consumer all the way up into large enterprises covering XDR type solutions and threat intelligence as well. So we see every type of attack and at all different layers. And we're truly a global company. I mean, we have offices all around the world and partners all around the world. And in Europe, we're actually the number one cybersecurity vendor for small and medium-sized businesses. Awesome. So you mentioned what an XDR is. For listeners who don't know what that is, do you mind explaining kind of what that is to them? Well, you, you'll hear the term XDR, EDR. Different people keep putting different letters at the start of this. But basically, if you, we all know that what an anti-malware product does, it's a piece of software that sits on your device and it looks for malware that somebody's trying to install. Well, EDR or XDR, which in, then includes more than just M, you know, endpoint devices as in laptops and phones and such like, but an EDR, what it's doing is giving you the visibility on the device. So it's looking at information that that's happening on the device, i.e. the processes and components and the elements actually running on the device. So if somebody's actually, if, you know, is that device communicating with other devices? Is the lateral movement from that device to other devices in the network, et cetera? So then if you end up with a cyber incident that maybe doesn't include malware, and I say that because a lot of ransomware attacks now are about data exfiltration, yeah, then actually you might need to know all the log data of what exactly happened on that device and go back and actually work out how that device, how it spread, et cetera, and what processes were involved, and then respond accordingly, which is the R in EDR. So endpoint detection gives you the visibility, and then R gives you the response. So your future story in the report really caught my eye. Can you tell us a little bit more about the recent macOS spyware that the ESET researchers discovered? I certainly can. And it, this is an interesting piece of malware because, well, firstly, Mac OS, you know, Apple users don't tend to think of their Mac being vulnerable, which unfortunately it is. And more and more cyber criminals are shifting this way. What was interesting about this was this particular attack 
works works on both pieces of silicon as well. So both Apple silicon and Intel silicon. So any Apple user will know that there's a slight difference in in the device type. But CloudMensis is malware that's affecting macOS and its architecture independent, like I say. But one of the interesting parts is the initial method of compromise to get the malware on the device while it's unknown. It's about a two-stage process with part of the first stage kicking off a download and execution of the second stage. So increasingly, interestingly, these downloads come from cloud storage providers and use access tokens. So it appears even the cyber criminals are, are somewhat concerned about security in how this malware operates on the device. But I think one of the big things in here for me was it circumvents Apple's transparency consent and control system. Any Apple user will know that when you try and make a change to the the system settings or you try and make, uh, install software or you try and do something on your device, Apple pops a box and you need to re-authenticate. It actually circumvents that. So they're using a vulnerability in the TCC system to actually circumvent that entire confirmation from the end user. So it does appear this malware has limited distribution at this moment in time, and it's about exfiltrating files. So it is, as you termed it, spyware. But like I say, once one cyber criminal starts exploiting a vulnerability in a system, you'll see other cyber criminals start doing similar things as well. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah, that is quite interesting. Uh, I myself have a Mac, and that's a bit scary. Do you, do you know what kind of chipset is it's affected on the, on the Macs, or is it just all of them? It's actually on both. It's uh, independent of architecture. So whether you're using the Apple Silicon or whether you're using Intel Silicon, it works on either. Wow. That's a bit scary. Well, that that was the other odd, you know, strange thing. We've actually seen, you know, it's the first time we've seen something attack the M1 architecture. Wow. And it and it just bypasses that that authentication process? It certainly does. And as a Mac user, I'm also a Mac user, Colin. So yeah, I'm I'm very aware that, that little box pops up on a frequent basis and we re-authenticate. But like I say, in this particular instance, it bypasses that re-authentication. Wow. Well, thank you for explaining that. I appreciate it. Your research highlights a sharp decline in RDP attacks. Why do you think that is? And what can our listeners do with this insight? Well, so firstly, let's talk, let's just you know, disclose what RD, RDP means, remote desktop protocol. It's basically Microsoft's uh, protocol that allows remote Windows users to access their Windows environment. Yeah, exactly as it says remotely. So this is commonly used by, I, I would say, businesses, uh, educators, or, or whatever, to give access to employees or, or faculty and staff uh, when they're remote. Now, what happened at the start of the pandemic, of course, all of us needed to be remote. Yeah, so a lot of smaller organizations just used the the facilities that were already within the operating systems they had and switched on RDP. Now, RDP if you sit this on a public network, i.e. so somebody can connect to it across the internet and not behind a VPN, and in effect, it sits there advertising that it's there. And then cyber criminals come along and they will try and brute force attack it. And this brute force attack means they're going to try different IDs and passwords and sit there just powering away and, and throwing attempts at it. Now, at the start of the pandemic to the end of 2021, so 2020 to 2021, we saw an 894% increase 
in the number of attempted attacks against RDP systems, so brute force attacks. Now, to put that in real numbers in T1, so that January to April timeframe of this year, that equated to 123 billion attempted attacks against an RDP, RDP systems. And bear in mind, this is only using ESETS telemetry. So this, this problem is much bigger than that number. But as you just mentioned, we've just seen a decline yeah, in T2 down to 13 billion. Now, let me explain why I think that is. And more importantly, why you should still be worrying about it, because 13 billion is a big number. It's still an awful lot of attempted attacks. Now, there were some changes in there. Uh, Microsoft made a change. So they lock out the system after, I think it's 10 brute force attempts, so 10 wrong password attempts, and they lock the system. Uh, I think there's greater awareness that actually companies are starting to put their RDP systems, either they're turning it, turning it off altogether because there's less need for remote access, but I think a lot of education has been pushed by companies like us, this po yeah, podcast like this, uh, but also CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, have been pushing out lots of information. And they've been using uh, the issue of war in Ukraine and heightened cybersecurity requirements as well to push out awareness. So I think there's a lot more education around needing to actually secure RDP. So there is a decline, but I, I wouldn't sit back. I would still go and audit my RDP systems, remote access systems, and most importantly, I'd put them behind a VPN and make sure there's multi-factor authentication on them. This episode of the ISACA podcast is brought to you by ESET, the global leaders in cybersecurity research and innovations. ESET is at the forefront of cybersecurity research. Hundreds of experts in 13 R&D centers all around the world are busy every day anticipating new threats and ensuring that our protection is always ready for the next step of progress in technology. These global research labs drive the development of ESET's uniquely multi-layered technologies that go far beyond the capabilities of basic antivirus. ESET Protect Advanced includes ESET's essential security products to help you build a multi-layered security portfolio with one convenient bundle. This package combines endpoint security with full disk encryption and cloud sandbox analysis for next-level protection against today's increasingly sophisticated attacks, including zero-day exploits, ransomware, and advanced persistent threats, or APTs. For the remote workforce, it adds an extra defense against phishing and other scams and encrypts data at rest on each user's device. And it's completely manageable through the ESET Protect Cloud Console, improving total cost of ownership. Right now, ESET Protect Advanced is 20% off, and you can try it before you buy. Get your free ESET business trial and save 20% at business.eset.com. So what has this research shown about how the Russia-Ukraine war has affected the cyber threat landscape? Well, so one of the big things in here is, is uh, ransomware. And I think, um, interestingly, if we look at the ransomware numbers, and I pull this one out particularly uh, to do with this as well, because if we if we look at ransomware in that T1, we saw an increase in ransomware attacks against Russia. So uh, some of those cyber criminal groups actually started attacking, um, in effect, as activists, attacking targets in Russia. Well, what we saw is then that decline again in T2. So the shift changed back from targets, activists, 
targets in Russia to actually monetizing targets. And the number one country became the US again, accounting for all seven and a half percent of all ransomware attacks globally that we see, followed closely by China at six percent and then Israel at 5.5 percent. So I, I think that's super interesting. Now, obviously, we, we see other issues coming out of that conflict as well, such as, as you'll remember earlier in the year, we saw an attempted attack against the power, critical infrastructure of power facilities in Ukraine, uh, which we managed to block with CERT UA, and there were certainly data wipers and such like. So I think this is an area of concern, and I think we are seeing trends go back and, back and forth. So, for example, this ransomware decline which I don't really see as, as that much of a decline. So if you look at our overall numbers in that T2 threat report, it looks like ransomware went down 24%. And there could be a whole mix of reasons in there. One is that decline in numbers against Russian targets, but also, yeah, I think there's lots of lots of other stuff going on in there as well around the Office of Foreign Asset Control sanctioning more crypto wallets, more increased awareness, more cyber incident reporting, which increases people's spend on cybersecurity. So I think there's lots of other reasons in there as well of why we might be seeing some decline. But interesting how, how the war is making cyber attacks shift geographically like that. Yeah, that is interesting. So I guess what are some of the ways that threats have affected people at home, particularly when online shopping? So another thing we did see specifically in that T2 period was an increase in certain things around certain phishing types of scams, so, uh, you know, DHL and USPS and all that sort of stuff, but also an increase in a web skimmer. A web skimmer, you know, we, a skimmer is, is a word often associated with a credit card skimming. So when you go into an establishment, you hand over your card and somebody skims it through a device and it replicates your card. You know, so I think now think about that on a website. So in effect, what somebody's doing is a cyber criminal has written a piece of software, they go along to a legitimate website, and they overlay that website in effect or insert some skimming code in there. So we saw an increase, uh, a, a fairly th a threefold increase, actually, in uh, mag e-cart malware in that period. So what that means is that when you're going to a legitimate site, unbeknown to you, somebody's skimming the credit card off. Uh, and taking the details. A good example of that, I think British Airways suffered with a, what, what's defined as code injection, which was a, a skimmer in a similar way several years ago. So my point here is that it can happen to really big websites as well as smaller websites. So you need to be cautious of, of using uh, credit card data like that. So one thing you know, I, I'd suggest is if you can use systems that don't force the transfer of your credit card data into a site. So for example, Google Pay, Apple Pay, or even PayPal, yeah, where you're no longer where you're not transferring card details, then that will actually help protect you. So you're saying use Apple Pay, Google Pay, and PayPal or do not or no, I'm saying do use them because what they do is they they it means you don't have to put in your credit card details. So therefore that skim of your credit card data, i.e. the number, the name, the address, the CVC number, et cetera, is actually never happening. So what they're using is, in effect, like I, I define it as like a transaction ID, and it stops the uh, stops the information flow. So your data is never actually being broadcast. Gotcha. So why have the number of crypto stealers and cryptocurrency-themed phishing lures risen? 
Well, some of this I think is if you're into if you're a cyber criminal and you're focused on that whole crypto area, one thing you may have been doing previously is you know coin mining or whatever. So, i.e., because you could make money from using the resource of somebody else's device. But unfortunately, as we all know, the cryptocurrency market has taken a fairly significant decline over this year. So suddenly coin mining doesn't is not as valuable to cyber criminals. So rather than actually trying to mine uh, and make money that way by using somebody else's resources, they've switched to crypto stealers. And what that involves is information stealing, so i.e. through phishing or through some other, other mechanism. And in effect, what they're trying to do is get the crypto account details off of you so they can then go and steal your cryptocurrency. I mean, it's just a switch of tactic to which whichever is making them the most money at times. The gain, by the way, in crypto stealers, we've seen nearly a 50% increase. So that's significant. That is a lot. So it, it basically, they're, they're harvesting the data from, you know, if you have some kind of extension in Google Chrome or whatever, and they can go in and through memory and grab your credentials and basically pass it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why if you've got cryptocurrency accounts and such like, you know, make sure you're actually securing them with two-factor authentication. Make sure you've got a secondary authentication mechanism in there. So if somebody is managing to steal the password and the ID, that actually if they try, try and break into the account, then they're going to get blocked as well. So what do you attribute the overall decline in threat detections overall? Well, that's a that's a great question, isn't it? You know, should we sit back in turn and say, "Hey, we're we're eventually fixing this cybercrime thing," and, and the answer to that is is no, I don't think we are fixing it. I think it's becoming more targeted, and that's the way I I would read this. And some of it, I think, is it is that effect of the focus on cyber warfare, the focus in other parts, other regions in the world where some of these attacks may have come from. The restrictions on monetization, so like I say, sanctions and stuff like that. So, trend, uh, yeah, I think all these things are having a, a significant uh, an effect on that that specific decline. I think cyber criminals are also becoming way more targeted in their approach. I'm going to use a, a, a sponsored nation state attack as an example. At the start of the year, we saw Lazarus Group put out a campaign against fairly general campaign on LinkedIn, trying to fish for information for people off LinkedIn using job applications. Then in T2, we saw them target two individuals, one in a, an aerospace company in the Netherlands and, and a, a journalist in Belgium. If suddenly you can spearfish as opposed to being yeah, fishing, which is general, and suddenly you can spearfish because you know enough about certain individuals, then I don't need to put those great big campaigns in place. And therefore, it becomes far more targeted. And I think that's what's happening to cybercrime. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. So what did, what did you find the most surprising discoveries from this research document? Well, I think the Mac OS one that we've already covered was pretty interesting. And I think this decline in ransomware uh, was significant as well. The ransomware one, if, if I had to pick out, you know, two, if I had to pick out two things out of the report, it would be the move in phishing. So Emotet came back into play in that T1 threat report. And then in T2, uh, we saw a very slight decline in phishing numbers. But if you take the increase in T1 and, and then look at T2, 
and that slight decrease, it means it's still on the way up. So we're still seeing more phishing emails, you know, DHL, USPS, phishing emails are landing in my inbox every day. That seems to be the flavor of the day. But uh, also like the increase in, in campaigns. So Emotet came online back in, in T1 and then went offline in August. You know, does that back up the theory that the people are running these as businesses? Does it mean that actually they took a holiday? So I think that one's significant in there for me in that report. Uh, and, you know, phishing and ransomware are always top of mind. So I think those two specific components and the ransomware, we already discussed the numbers. And those are my two big takeaways from the report. I guess just to add on to that, what is your favorite discovery from the research? Well, I, you know, I had a fear you were going to ask me this question, Colin. Yeah. yeah. I, I looked at the report and thought I can't have a favorite piece of malware or a favorite 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 piece of uh, cyber incident. You know, we talk about a lot of negative things and uh, none of them are my, my favorite. What would make me happy is if I picked the report up and it had nothing in it because nothing happened. So my optimism that one day we can do that. Yeah, that would be, that would be nice. <laughs> as much as I hate to end this great conversation, it's all the time that we have left today, unfortunately. Tony, I just want to say thank you for your time today. It was so great to dive into ESET's threat report with you. For our listeners, if you were interested in reading ESET's full article, breaking down the ESET T2 2022 threat report, please click on the link in the description below. Again, thank you, Tony, for being our guest once again, and a huge thank you to ESET for sponsoring this ISACA podcast.